Well, did you have a good Valentine week? I'm not sure how to take that laugh. I imagine that uh, many of you had a really good one. Maybe a few of you. Okay. Well, the week's not over. You still have today. Okay. But uh, it's been interesting listening to people talk about uh, their, their their plans and seeing things on Facebook and Instagram and so on and uh, just people celebrating love. I, uh, I meet uh, weekly with two D groups, discipleship groups of, of men. We're reading scripture and applying it to life and praying together and so on. And, and uh, so this past week we were talking about everybody's plans, kind of an accountability thing. What, what are you doing to make your, your wife feel special and, you know, and, and, and loved? And, and a lot of different things came out, you know, the usual things, the buying cards, and candy, flowers, gifts, uh, going out to your favorite restaurant. One was taking a weekend trip to their favorite destination. Uh, some put uh, different posts on social media talking about their love for their, their spouse, and all of those are, are really good things. And for those of you who didn't do anything, there are some suggestions. Um, <clears throat> or as Brother Steve said, um, register for the marriage conference and say, Hey, sweetie, I signed us up for the marriage conference. That's how much I love you. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing to do too. But what we're doing there is just saying I love you. Uh, I did a little better this year than some years. So I made, a, uh, made it a priority to do something starting Monday every day. And uh, because I figured if I did something every day, one of those days I'd get it really good. And uh, so did something every day. And uh, that's a, a photograph of some of the flowers I got. Her, I, was, I was in Columbia Tuesday for a meeting with my executive coach and it happened to be a, a place next door afterward I went over and found some roses at a really good price so I got her two dozen pink roses brought them home put them together so I had a good week did, did okay and and you know whatever it is we do we do it for one reason we just want to say to our husband we want to say to our wife you're special and I love you and when, when I <clears throat> when I look at you I see someone that's that's special I see that most important person in my life. That's just the way we look at one another if, if our love is what it's supposed to be. And it, it feels good, doesn't it, to know that somebody loves you? I mean, it really does feel good. It's, a, it's, it's one of the greatest things. Somebody loves me. Friday night, we, uh, <clears throat> we had parents, <coughs> excuse me, I guess that's the, one of the results of, of, of preaching multiple times every Sunday since I was 17. It starts to wear on me after a while. But anyway... So uh, uh, we had parents' night out Friday night. Uh, we had about 80 kids up here and several of our volunteers. By the way, thank you, thank you, thank you to all the volunteers who helped us care for these children Friday night so their parents could have an evening, you know, a couple hours or so uh, without the kids to, uh, to just celebrate life together and celebrate Valentine's Day, have a date. Uh, and... I talked to a lot of them, and it was interesting what they were all doing. Now, most of them went out to eat somewhere together, just the two of them. A few met up with other couples from the, the church, friends, and so on. But uh, I did talk to one couple who went grocery shopping. Well, it's easier when you don't have kids with you, right? Put that back. I told you, no. Just easier when you don't have the kids. Another couple went looking for appliances. Uh, 
one couple went home just to sleep for two hours. <laughs> but you know, we're as a church family, we're wanting to say to these families, "You matter." When we look at you, we see we see something important. Marriage is important. Family is important. We 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 say our purpose, the the New Testament purpose for our existence as a church is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And in Scripture, the first place, the primary place for making disciples is in the home. You do know that, right? That's the starting point for making disciples is in the home, in the, in the family. And that's one of the reasons that over the next three years with Vision 21, one of our priorities is strengthening families. And that's a, that's a big part of why we do Parents Not Out. It's not just, hey, it's a good idea. It's because making disciples is important and helping families be strong is important and helping marriages. Another reason for that marriage conference is important because that's what God tells us to do. You agree with that? You No? You agree with that? Then, then help us, help us do that. We, we want families to know that this church cares about them and their home and loves them. And, and, and so, you know, husbands and wives, they want their spouse to know, how do I feel about you when I look at you? I see somebody special. I see somebody I love. As a church family, we want young, we want families to know that that when we look at them, we see, you know, that's the starting point for making disciples is in the home. And and when we look at you, we we see a relationship, we see an institution, if you will, called the home that is important. That's how we that's how we look at you. In this sermon series, the Jesus view, we're looking at how Jesus views different people, different groups. How does Jesus view different subjects, different things? So last Sunday, we talked about how he views himself. And it's our memory verse. Remember, for this month, Jesus said, I am, he, he said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's how Jesus saw himself. And as his followers, that's also how we see him. Next Sunday, we're going to look at how Jesus sees the world, how he sees the people in this world. And the week after that, how does he want us to interact with this world? How does he want us to interact with the people? All based on how he, how he sees them. But today, how does Jesus see you? And by you, I don't mean everybody. I mean you as a follower of Jesus Christ. You as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You as someone who loves Jesus and has committed your life to him, how does Jesus see you? I want to use four words to help you wrap your mind around that. Okay? Loved, family, different, and capable. When Jesus looks at you, he sees someone he loves, someone who is part of his family, someone who is different, and a person who is capable. That's the four things I want to talk about real briefly. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 John. We're going to end this morning with the Gospel of John that, that was on the video a moment ago. I am the vine. 
1 John and the Gospel of John written by the same person, the disciple called John, who was a very loving man, lived to be an, an old man, also wrote the book of Revelation in our New Testament. 1 John chapter 3, let's read together the first three verses, and this will be our primary text today. Here's what he says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Look, see, envision it, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, when Jesus comes back, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone, verse 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on Him, on Jesus, purifies Himself just as He, just as Jesus is pure. How does Jesus see you as His disciple, as His follower? Well, the first is he, when He looks at you, He sees someone He loves. Notice in verse 1 how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. He said, just think about it. God's love, not only that he says, but that he has shown you, that he has poured out on you, that he has demonstrated, that he has bestowed on you, that he's given you. It's a great love. It's not just a little love. It's a big love. It's a, a great Love. You, you, you could not write enough books to fully describe how much God loves you as his child. I like the way uh, John in verse 2 calls us the beloved. That's who we are. God's beloved children. In John chapter 1, verse 12, this same author years earlier wrote the gospel and, 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 he, and he talks about about how as many as received him, to every person who receives Jesus, to them, he, to them, Jesus, 1 John 1, 12, to them, Jesus gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Think about that. That those who believe, those who receive Christ, God gives the right, God gives the privilege, God gives the ability to be his child. And that's going to lead a little bit into the second point, and the third point. Because not everybody in this world is a child of God. Now, I know we, you've heard me say this before. You understand that it's just common knowledge. We're all children of God, and we understand what is meant by that, that, that God loves everybody, and we're to love everybody, and we have that common human brotherhood. That, that's all true. But biblically, Theologically, it is not accurate to say we're all children of God. Biblically, theologically, it is accurate to say we are all creations of God. We are all loved by the Lord. He has favor toward all of us. That's biblical. That's, that's good theology. But in Scripture, the Bible says we're we, we, we in our natural state because of our sin are separated from God. We are at enmity with God. We are outside of fellowship with God. But when you receive Christ, when you believe in Christ, when you give your life to Christ, you are spiritually born again. 
birthed into the family of God, you become a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, if you will. And so when God looks at us, he sees something different. We are, we are loved in a beautiful and special way. God demonstrates his love for us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. And taking the initiative is not easy, is it? A couple weeks ago, I was exchanging emails with a member of our church because she was struggling with forgiving a member of her family who had said some hurtful things to her about her. And she knew she needed to, she wanted to, but she was really struggling with it. It was hard. But at the end of that process, she was able to do it. And she came to me last Sunday and was telling me how they had talked that week. And she, she, God had given her the ability to forgive, and, and she was still working all of that out, but they had talked, and how much better she felt, and she was, she was smiling. You know, forgiving someone, taking initiative, taking the first steps, not easy, is it? Is it easy for you every time you need to take the initiative to forgive someone who's hurt you, even if they've not come to you and apologized, to love them, to pray for God to bless them. And yet what Scripture says is that God, this this great love, how do we know he loved us? (laughs) Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He took that initiative. And so what the Scripture is saying, how does God look at you? God looks at you as someone who is loved, someone that he loves. And then that, that leads into the fact that we are his family. Like I was saying a moment ago in, in, in John 1, 12, we, we become children of God. Now look back in 1 John chapter 3. Notice he says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Children of God. We are family. And then he says in the middle of verse 1, and such we are. And then in verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God. He repeats that, that we're children of God. That means we're part of God's family. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and, and, and 28. Look at this. He said, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So how do we become a son of God? How do we become a part of God's family? What does he say in verse 26, church? How? How? Through faith in what? So you go back to last Sunday. How does Jesus see himself? Jesus said to him, to us, I am the, and I am the truth, and I am the, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So we're sons of God, children of God. How? Through faith in whom? In Christ Jesus. That makes you a member of his, not only loved, but part of his family for notice he says in verse 20 27 the, next, the very very next verse for all of you who were baptized into christ have clothed yourselves with christ and that's not referring to water baptism that's referring to the fact that that when you give your life to christ you are immersed into jesus you are in christ and christ is in you when that happens you are clothed he uses all of these different images different analogies throughout the New Testament to describe the intimacy that exists between us and Jesus when we are his followers, when we are his 
disciples. Here we are baptized into him, but also we are clothed in him. As a follower of Christ, when you see yourself accurately, when you see yourself as he does, you cannot separate yourself from Christ and your relationship with him because your life is hidden, listen, in him. As the New Testament says, for me to live is, yes, for me to live is Christ. You're his family. You're, you're, you're his children because of your relationship with Christ. And then verse, verse 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, why do we call each other brothers and sisters? It's not just a good term. It's not just a nice spiritual word. It's not just a habit or a tradition. It is an expression of who we really are, members of the same family. And, and the truth is, I know people, and maybe you're one of them, who are closer to brothers and sisters in Christ than you are your blood brothers and sisters. Many of you can depend on your brothers and sisters in Christ more than you can your blood relatives. There's just something about the way God can bring people together from all these different backgrounds and different places and make us a family because he's our father. We've all been cleansed by the same blood. We've all been forgiven the same way through faith in Christ. It makes us family. Sandy Armstrong, Danny's wife, had uh, back surgery earlier this week went really well they, they they tried to add it up and they think over the years this is the 15th surgery she's had been through a lot and uh monday evening surgery being the next day 20 or so people from her sunday school class mostly um and a few deacons went to their house and formed a circle prayed for sandy now, the week before that, I was standing in the back. Danny came to me, and I, I, I saw him over there, so I walked over to him, and he, he was crying. He was teary-eyed. He was upset. He was emotional. And I go over to him. He'd just come out of Sunday school when they had told him, they had told him what they were going, going to do. See, that's what he's talking about. When God looks at us, how, how does he see us? Those of us who are his followers, who are his disciples, who are believers, who love him, he says, you are my beloved and you are my family and it affects not only our relationship with him but our connection with each other, our role in the church. We're family. I, uh, I, I don't know how people make it who don't have that. And I'll tell you something else, Okay. Let me get really practical for a second. You want those kind of connections? Then do more than just attend worship. You want those kind of connections? Then get into a group, whether it's a Sunday school class, a ministry group, and build relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your role. Then you'll be able to give that kind of ministry when people need it, 
and be in a place to receive it when you need it. But if you isolate yourself, you don't build connections, you don't build relationships, then you're likely not going to be in a place to give that kind of ministry or receive that kind of ministry because you're hiding, you're isolating. may not be intentional, but it's the outcome nonetheless. So get involved and make connections. Well, let me run on. I'm running out of time. So when God looks at us, how does he see us? You're my beloved. You're my family. But third, you're different. Now, I know most of us don't like to think of ourselves as being different. Because being different means, does that mean I'm odd? Does that mean I won't be popular? I won't be liked? Does that mean there's something wrong with me? Well, you know, sometimes different is really good, isn't it? Can be. And in this case, it is. 1 John uh, chapter 3, uh, or, or I'm sorry, yeah, 1 John chapter 3 again, back to our main text. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For Now notice the end of verse 1. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. He, he's saying the, the reality is that most people don't know Jesus. Don't understand Jesus. Don't get Jesus. And therefore, they're not always going to get you, understand you, know what makes you tick, even appreciate and respect, let alone understand. Verse 2, we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. In other words, he's saying, listen, your future, because you are God's beloved and you are part of God's family, your future is different than the future of those who don't know Jesus and who don't understand you. Because at the second coming of Christ, guess what? You are raised from the dead. You will be like him, changed, different. You're different now. You're going to be even more different then. And when he comes, you're going to stand there and experience sharing his glory and all of those who did not know him, who did not get him, who did not understand him, who did not love him, who did not follow him or are going to miss out on all of that. So you're different now. You're going to be different then. And he said in verse 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, everybody who, puts, who fixes our hope on Jesus Christ purifies himself. In other words, we, we live differently. And we're, we're good with that. We, we don't want to live messed up lives like everybody in this world. We, we, we don't want to bring on ourselves and on our loved ones the pain of sin. We, we, we believe in holiness. 
Now, that's the, that's the reason that when, when Christian leaders and church members and followers of Christ don't live right, it hurts the witness of Jesus. Because even though, the, listen to this now, listen, listen. Even though the world doesn't like for us to be different, they still expect us to be different. See, why does it surprise you that, that sinful culture is inconsistent? Sinful culture looks at you and they want you to be like everybody else, but then when you are like everybody else, there's something wrong with you because you're a hypocrite. Don't, don't let the world's inconsistencies and their lack of logic and consistency and, and their thought patterns shape you. You just fix your hope. You fix your eyes. You fix your heart on the Lord Jesus who loves you and who says you're part of my family. And you say, Father, I love you too. And Father, I'm proud to be part of your family. And I'm okay with being different because of it. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Many of you know this passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, remember, in Christ, Christ in us, he's a new creature, new creation. The old things, past, gone, done away with, new has come. So you're not what you were before you gave your life to Jesus. You not only are different than those who don't follow Christ, you are different than what you were before Jesus. Because before you were outside of Jesus, now you are in Jesus. Before you may have believed he existed, but you didn't know him. Now you not only believe he exists, you know him. Before you were not part of his family, now you are one of his children. Before you were going to miss out on the glory of Jesus at the second coming, now you are going to share in it. Aren't you glad you're different? Brother, Brother Steve a moment ago mentioned the Kentucky-Tennessee game last night. Out of love for my brother, I didn't wear anything blue today. But Rick Barnes, the, uh, the basketball coach at UT for the last couple of years, doing a really good job, had a successful stint, as some of you know, when he was coaching Clemson some years ago, and then uh, Texas. And eventually things kind of grew stale at Texas, and he was forced out, and now he's revived his career, if you will, at Tennessee. They're having a great, great season. But uh, something interesting happened in his life about 10 years ago. He has a son. He has a son who's a missionary in the Middle East. In a country that he can't name because it's dangerous. And his son was talking about how they saw four people come to faith in one year. One of them was 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 killed for his faith. Another one was stabbed. The third one was placed in prison. And the fourth one, a woman, her husband, divorced her because she became a follower of Jesus. That's that's the kind of place where his son serves as a missionary. You get the picture? His daughter in her church in Texas, in Austin, I think it was, um, moved by God. And so over a period of a few years, she and her husband adopted two children who are from Uganda. Rick Bourne's first grandchildren, by the way. 
about 10 years ago, those two kids. Now think about this. His son and his daughter, as adults, these two kids sat their dad down and told him he was messing up. He wasn't living right, and he didn't have his priorities right. He was a cultural Christian. You know what that is, right? You go to church, you wear the name, you play the game. Now, can you imagine your adult kid sitting you down and saying, you are blowing it? And you know better than this? Can you imagine that? Everything changed. That became a turning point in Rick Barnes' life. And since then, the priorities have been his family and his faith. And he's still driven. He can, st- he can still tear into a player. But family and faith. So we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be cultural Christians. We're, we're supposed to be followers of Jesus who deny ourselves and take up the cross daily and follow Him. Different. And then here's the last point. When he looks at us, he sees people not only that he loves and who are part of his family and who are different, but he sees people who are capable. Now, some of you may be a little surprised to put that in there because we like to think we're not capable of anything. Well, we can't save ourselves. We know that. But as long as you keep telling yourself you're not capable of doing anything, guess what? You never will do anything. Capable. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, he said, Everyone who has this hope fixed on him, on Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. We make a decision to be different. Now, here's the thing. God would not tell us to be different if we were not capable of being different. God God would not tell you to serve him if you were not capable of serving him. To be pure if you were not capable of being pure. To grow if you were not capable of growing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, after those um, well-known verses about being saved through grace and faith, in verse 10 he says, for we are his workmanship. It's like we are a, a piece of wood that God is uh, carving. It's like we're a piece of clay that God is molding. It's like we're little pieces of something or another that God is putting together. He's constructing something. He's building something. He says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Good things, good deeds, good service. And God prepared, God decided from the very beginning that that's what was going to happen. God God says, I am working in your life. If you will listen to me and if you will cooperate with me, I'm working in your life to produce something good. How does that that happen? What's our part? 
Well, let me wrap it up by telling you. In the video at the start, you saw the, the verse from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus is speaking to his followers, to us, and, and, he, and, and of himself. He says, I am the vine. Jesus says, he is the vine. And you, us, those who follow him, are the branches. And he who abides in me, and, and I in him, you, you're in me and I in you, in Christ and Christ in us, you get it? He bears, he produces much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you go out and you cut the branch off the vine and just throw it over to the side, what happens to the branch? It just withers up and dies, produces nothing. It has to stay attached to the vine, right? The energy, the nutrient, nutrition comes up through the vine. The production takes place because the branch is part of the vine and the vine is attached to the branch. Jesus said that's how your life works. When you are my follower, you're my beloved, you're a member of my family and and you're different, You, you have capacity to bear fruit, you have capacity to do good things, to serve and to grow. Why? Because you are in me and I am in you and as long as you are attached to me, you abide in me, then you're capable of producing a lot of fruit. So stop telling yourself you can't live differently. You can't change. You can't read Scripture. You can't pray. You can't serve. As long as you keep saying, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, then you never will. But once you start saying, this is who I am, and if I stay connected to Jesus and I abide in Christ, it's possible. Then he added two verses later in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words, my words, my words abide in you. Now there's a clue as to what our role is. How did you learn to ride a bicycle? By getting on it? trying and falling. You got up, dusted your knees off, got on it and tried again. Maybe wiped away a tear. But you had to keep trying before you learned to ride the bicycle, right? Huh? That's true for most of us with most things. His Word. You say, I read the Bible and I don't understand it. Keep reading it. Get in a Sunday school class. Get in a small group. Ask somebody to help you, but get in it. His words abide in you. Listen, listen. There's no substitute for you having time during the days of your week when you just hang out with Jesus. You just abide with Him. You get into His Word and you read. And, and can I suggest something? Can I suggest something? Let me suggest that your normal Bible reading plan is not, well, I'm just going to open the Bible today and wherever it falls, I read. Stop that, stop that, stop that. Every now and then that's okay, but if that's your daily practice of Bible reading, stop it, stop it, stop it. Hey, 
That's like opening an instruction manual and say, wherever it turns to, that's where I'm going to start. Got a suggestion for you. Pick one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start at chapter 1, verse 1, and read a chapter a day. Half a chapter a day. and Just do that every day until you work your way all the way through it. This is uh, my journal for the two D groups that I'm with. And we're reading one chapter a day. And I just put notes in here about what God said to me that day, what the verse was and what he said. And then whatever he says to me, I answer it with a one-sentence prayer in quotation marks. Father or Lord, I just write out a one-sentence prayer in response to what he said to me by the Spirit through the Scripture. You want, to, you want to abide in Him and His words abide in you so that you can be strong and, 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 and not just know that God loves you, not just know that you're part of His family, but really be different and, and achieve the things that you're capable of achieving spiritually in Christ, then hang out with Him every single day. And if you miss a day, we'll just hang out with Him the next day. Because I would imagine you and your loved one, you and your spouse, from time to time have a day that y'all don't get to hang out much, right? So what happens if you, you know, hey, I blew Valentine's. What do you do? Well, you make Sunday really good. You don't say because I blew Valentine and I, I, there's no hope. I can't do it. No, no, no. You just pick up and go, right? That's the same with you and Jesus. If it's been forever since you read Scripture, pick it up today when you get home. Pick it up tomorrow morning. Hang out with Christ because you are capable of being a disciple that Jesus uses to make other disciples in this world. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation.